I spent the summer with my, with my family, um, as many of you did. Uh, I had the whole summer off for reasons that will become apparent in, in just, a, just a minute. Um, but this summer, I made a, made a determined effort to make sure that my children could each hear from me specifically on how I think God is moving in their lives. I know that might sound a little bit weird, but you know, like most of our lives, we just kind of pass each other and you get in the activities that happen during the, during the school year and you know, you're running, running from one thing to the next. You don't actually ever have an opportunity just to stop and to affirm your kids and say, listen, I, I just see God moving in your life here or in the, your life here. And uh, words of affirmation can be really powerful. So this, this um, summer, I sat my kids down in different locations at different times and told them how I felt about them and how I see God moving in their lives. And, you know, different people respond in different ways to that. My, my oldest son, Ethan, if I tell him like that, this is total catnip to him. Like, he just loves to hear affirmation. He's a really warm-hearted kid, uh, loves people, and this, this really connects with him. And so he'll smile and put his hand on me and, thanks, Papa, thanks, Papa. He'll say, my little girl, Sophie, she'll climb up on my lap and be like, tell me more, you know? <laughs> Um, but my son Micah, my 16-year-old son Micah, even since he was a little kid, he just does not have a lot of time for the mushy sweetness, right? And so um, he, when, he, when he was a little kid, I used to say, Micah, I just want you to know that I love you. And he'd say, I know that. And then he'd just be like, Micah, no, seriously, I love you. I know that. And he'd walk away. He just can't be bothered. So I sat him down this summer and I was looking at him. We actually had traveled to Georgia for some baseball stuff. And I was talking to him about it and he was on his phone. Micah, I'm trying to tell you something important about how God's moving in your life. Uh huh. How long is this going to take, Dad? You know? <laughs> oh, goodness. But I keep telling him, right? It's what you do. You keep telling your kids because you know that words of affirmation are enormously powerful. Maybe someday when he's 50, he'll appreciate it and think, oh, my dad liked me for a short period of time there. Anyway, um, but words, words of affirmation are, are, are motivational. They, they move your kids. I mean, you tell your children that kind of thing not just to praise them for what they've done in the past, because, yeah, that's important, but also to motivate them to say, man, just keep, that, keep doing that, fan into flame that, that gift. I, you've shown evidence of God moving in your life here. I, let's, in the days to come, let's see even more evidence of it. Um, if you've ever been involved in sports or um, coached or taught, you, you know that you can, you can produce what you want out of a student or out of a player by yelling at them. You can. You can scream at them, play the ball, blah, 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 and they'll, out of fear, just sheer fear and terror they will produce for you. They'll do it out of duty and not delight. If you want delight, if you want them to be motivated to do the thing out of delight and to continue to produce it, you are going to have to praise them. You're going to have to affirm them. When you go into the, New, in, into the New Testament, into the scriptures, one of the things you notice when Paul is writing these letters to these churches, so Paul would go and he'd plant these churches and then he would leave and he'd leave people in charge there and then he would correspond with those churches by letters. Sometimes they would be having really big problems and they'd ask him questions or he would hear about those churches and hear about the challenges they're having and he would volunteer to, to just write this letter and, and steer them in the right direction. But he never started with, uh, you guys need to figure this stuff out. Very rarely, in fact. Galatians is the only one he does that with. But in all the other letters that he writes, he starts with praise for them. 
Here's where I see God moving in your lives. And so you, you find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Just listen to the way he praises this church. He says, we, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. But every time I pray, I'm talking about you guys. We remember in our prayers before God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And there are evidences that God has chosen you. I can see his choosing of you working itself out in your lives. Like you're genuine believers. And he, he tells you how. He says, because, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. It wasn't just a surfacey feeling. Yeah, hey, yeah, I believe. But no, but really, deep down inside, you genuinely Believed. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Verse six. Verse six um, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Like you didn't need to, you didn't need to buy into this. I mean, it was going to cost you something to become a Christian. It meant that you know the culture at large was not going to like you. In some cases, it was going to cost you some of your lives, but you still believed. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in those two provinces, Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere we go, people are talking about you, Thessalonians. Therefore, we don't even need to say anything about it. For they themselves, the new places that we go, where we go to preach the gospel, they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Man, everywhere we go, people are talking about the Thessalonian church. Everybody, everywhere we go, people are talking about the faith that you had, that you turned away from your idols and you genuinely believe. Now, the Thessalonians had a lot of trouble. They did. But Paul doesn't start with the trouble. He starts with the praise. The church in Corinth was even more trouble. Like you can read First and Second Corinthians, you realize that Paul and them didn't always get along. They questioned whether he was an apostle. They had all sorts of issues with Paul, and he would correspond with them and saying, yes, I am an apostle, and this is the way you're capitulating to your culture. You're giving in in places that you shouldn't, and God is calling you to be separate and different. But even with that church, here's how he begins. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I always... Thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all, all kinds of speech, with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. See, I know God has confirmed to us the reality that you believe because I can see its evidence in your speech and knowledge. So even though I got a lot of things to say to you people, I mean, I want to start by talking about how I see the Spirit of God moving in your life. See, there is a deep power when pastors of churches tell the people in those churches why they thank God for them. So that's what I'm going to do. Some of you are going to, this is going to be really awkward for you. You, some of you are going to be like my oldest son, Ethan, and be like, oh, that's great. My daughter saying, say more. We'll stay. 
Some of you are going to be like my son Micah here. This is really awkward. He keeps looking at us and talking about how he loves us. So how long is this going to last? I know that. But here. Four reasons that I thank God for you, Northview. Four reasons I thank God for you. Number one, you're generous. Deeply so. Uh, There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is going around and he's trying to get a collection for the church in Jerusalem, which has had a famine. They don't have any money. So he's gone to all the other churches and he goes to the churches and he says, would you guys give some money for this collection for the church in Jerusalem? Some of those churches respond with eager giving, generosity. So Paul has come to the Corinthian church now and he is going to say to them, I want you to give money to this collection, but before you do, you need to know what happened when I went to the Macedonian churches because they gave a lot. You can imagine this happening. When I was in Calgary, they gave a lot of money. So what are you going to do, Abbotsford? You know, that's, this is his motivational technique. So here's how he goes about it. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Calgary churches, the Macedonian churches, in the midst of a very severe trial. I mean, they live in Calgary. Sorry. Um, (laughs) in In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They didn't have anything, but they gave. When they came and asked them, they're poor, but they gave. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Like we didn't need to say, and with this you'll get a set of steak knives. You know, like we, we came to them, presented it before him, and they were like, I'm in. Didn't matter what the circumstances were, I'm in. Now I read that to you because you're not with me when I go to other churches sometimes to preach or I talk to other pastors and you don't hear me talk about you. But the way that I talk about you is the way Paul talked about the Macedonians. I say things like, man, you guys, you should hear about my church (laughs) and the generosity of the people in my church. And so I tell them stories. Here's one of the stories I tell. When I first started preaching here, I was the young adults pastor. We used to have these disgusting salmon pews around here. And uh, I remember sitting in the very front row on the salmon pews. I was preaching actually two weeks in a row. And uh, because I was young adults pastor, we didn't have a lead pastor at the time. And so I was preaching a couple weeks in a row. I remember sitting in the pew coming up here and I started talking about, in the middle of my sermon, I told a story about how it is that I'm not very good at, at, at building things. In fact, I have a hammer, I said, but it's like a little tyke's hammer. And no kidding, it was. It was like a little tiny. It's the hammer that you get when you're 16 and your, your father's like, at some point you're gonna need a hammer. So I'm gonna start you off with this baby hammer so you don't hurt anything. I kept the baby hammer. At this point, I'm in my mid-30s at that point, and I had the baby hammer. That's all I ever had was the baby hammer. I talked about how this baby hammer isn't good, and my wife makes fun of me about it. You're not a real man, you know? And so, (laughs) anyway, the next week, I showed up. 
I showed up and I, I came to the front pew and in the front pew was a bag and in the bag was a big boy hammer. <laughs> like it, it, said, it was like graphite hammer and with a big hammer head on it. And I held that hammer in the front like, oh my word, this is amazing. So I put it back in the bag. I brought it up in the front and said, do you guys know last week I talked about I didn't have a hammer and somebody left me a real hammer in the front here. You know what else I don't have? A BMW. So the story's not over. <laughs> the next week, I was walking around in the hallway. Right, I'm not preaching this time, so I'm just walking around the hallway. And uh, this guy comes up to me. He, he was an Eastern European guy. He sounded Russian to me. And I'm American. I grew up not to trust the Russians for any reason at all, right? <laughs> and so he came up to me and he said, hey, you, come, 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 come with me. And I thought, oh, great. He's going to take me out of the back and nuke me or something, right, you know? <laughs> Come, 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 come. I walked around the building. Come, come, come. He walked out the back, and he, and he, like Vanna White, like, look, he said to me. And there sitting on the curb was a BMW. <laughs> and I laughed, and I said, oh, that's, that's funny. Thank you. That's funny. And he said, no, 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 it's yours. Here, take the keys. Take the keys. They're yours. And he opened my hand up, and he put the keys to the BMW in my hand. Oh, I didn't take it. Stop it. I didn't take it, because, you know, that would be wrong. <laughs> but I remember thinking to myself, I put it back and I remember walking back down the hall going, oh my word, what kind of crazy church is this? You have to be really careful about the kinds of things you say in front of them that you don't have, you know, like a holiday home. You know, that generosity, though, when I tell people that story, like that, that generosity, that is like, that's not abnormal here. Now, people don't always offer you me big gifts. But like, if I ask you to, to give, you're like the Macedonians. You're like, okay, where? There's an excitement that comes upon people. Last year, we started talking about um, multiplication and about how we, wanna, we want to see a gospel renewal in Canada through the local church. We want to train pastors and multiply churches throughout Canada so that every community in Canada has a gospel-proclaiming local church that will be there by God's grace for years and decades to come. That's our, that's our vision. That's our desire is to multiply that all across our country. So I talked about this and said, it's going to take money. It's going to, to train people. It's going to take money to plant those churches. And so we started talking about multiplication. Anyway, this, uh, this girl, she sent uh, to the office here. She actually handed upstairs to this office. She was a young girl. She came in and it, she gave an envelope. And inside the envelope were a few coins and a few paper bills. And on the front, this is her little note, and I've kept it. It says, money for church planting, smiley face, heart raised at my birthday party. Now, who does that? Well, Northview kids do that. It's part, of, it's part of the culture of the place. I remember a family last year hearing about them. They didn't broadcast it, but they said that I'm not, we're not going to go on a holiday this spring break, but the money that we were going to take to go to the holiday, we've already saved. So instead of going the holiday, we're going to give it to the church so churches can be planted around Canada. Well, who does that? Northview does that. 
I've got so many stories that I could share with you. And your generosity is not just limited to money. It's also in your kindness. You're equally generous with your kindness. You know, sometimes people come along to our church, they're kind of new, and they, they show up. And uh, on occasion, after a sermon, some people will, will kind of spontaneously clap for the sermon. I've had people say to me in the hallway after that, I, I don't like that at all. That bothers me. I think it's terrible. What is this, a big show? And we're clapping for the performer in front of us. And I've, I've corrected them and said, listen, I've been here long enough to know that nobody's clapping for the performer because the performance wasn't that great. But I will tell you what they are clapping for. The people in this church are so generous with their kindness that they, they don't know how to show it. We tend to have a background that's non-charismatic, and so we don't, amen, amen, amen. What do we do instead? Well, after it's done, we're like, I gotta express something. I'm gonna sing in a minute, but I gotta express something, and so we, we clap. And it means thank you, thank you. I, out of my generous heart, I want to kindly thank you for bringing the word to us today. It's not a sign of sin, it's a sign of graciousness and generosity. I have a drawer upstairs next to my desk, and in it I have a whole pile of letters. They're all the kind letters. I sometimes get non-kind letters. I file them somewhere else. <clears throat> it's a circle, and uh, they come and take it away every week. It's great. Um, but in this, in this drawer of kind email or kind mail, uh, I have a whole bunch of letters. I just grabbed one before I came. And on the front, you can see it's written in very young person uh, writing, Pastor Jeff. On the front, in, 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 the, in it, I'll just read you the first line. It says, to Jeff, I am sorry to hear all the unkind online comments that you get. So I just wanted to say that I look forward to every Saturday to hear you preach. So that's generosity. Generosity with words and, and with kindness. I said earlier that I took the summer off. There's a reason for that. Uh, at the end of last year, I was um, a bit of a mess. I struggle with uh, emotional challenges. I struggle with depression. I probably have for most of my life. I just didn't know it. But in the last little while, I've been diagnosed and talked to by friends and others who say, yeah, I think that this might be something that you know, you're plagued with in your life. And so at the end of last year, I was, I was just done, emotionally just fried. I didn't know if I was going to continue to go on. I went and got some uh, medication, and that's been really helpful, and I'm talking to counselors and stuff, and that's awesome. It's just kind of the thing that I have to bear. Everybody, everybody's got something to bear. Some of you have diabetes, so this is just my, I got mental challenges. I've actually enjoyed telling people who say to me, where were you all summer? Um, did you not work at all? And I've enjoyed saying to them, no, I was just dealing with my mental illness, so... Anyway, when I went to the elders of our church and I told them, listen, I'm, this, is my, this is my situation, this is my challenge, you know, I was a little bit worried. But what I found was what I've always found at Northview is that I had, there's a group of men who were saying to me, uh, Jeff, you do whatever you need. We are on your side and we are with you and we are behind you and we want to see you flourish and grow and we, we, we're in this together. We want to run with you, Jeff, and so let's, let's figure out a way that we can give you some time to have some reflection and get some of this stuff addressed so that you can move forward in, in wholeness instead of constantly lurching from, you know, strength to weakness to strength to weakness all the time. 
I know pastors who, if they went to their elder board in their church and said that, they would be fired. I know pastors who would not, they might have been given it, but it would have been hesitating. But at Northview, that's not the case. It's never been the case because you're generous. I cannot thank you enough, not just the elder board, but all of you. I can't thank you enough for your generous hearts. It's remarkable. It's a real sign that the spirits that move among you. Second one. I thank God for you because you're committed to developing leaders. There's a passage in 2 Timothy. Okay, 2 Timothy is a book that uh, the Apostle Paul writes when he's on his deathbed. Okay, so in your mind, whenever you read 2 Timothy, it should probably be in this voice. Okay, Timothy. You know, like, here's some things you need to know. You know, he's, he's about to pass on. So in it, he, he's giving his heart to Timothy. What are the things that really matter? These are my last words to you, Timothy. Dear pastor, how should you lead from, from now going forward? And so here's what he says in 2 Timothy 2. He says, you then, you then, my son, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, I'm, I'm dying. Someday you will die. So here's what I want you to do. Take what it is that you've heard from me. Embrace it. Pass it on to reliable people who will then pass it on to others. What do you think the others are supposed to do? Well, find some others. And others and others and others and others. You are always supposed to be looking for key leaders as missionaries to be sent into the future. That's what he's saying. One of the fundamental things is the, of, of the church going forward is finding young leaders who are going to push forward. And I love the fact that this church is on He's on to that. I was this summer, I was uh, asked actually by the church I first preached, I preached my first sermon at. In Eastern Washington, so I was asked to come back 25 years later. And I came back and uh, was with my brother in law, who's a missionary from that church. And so we went there, 80 people, middle of the wheat fields. You drive eight hours, drive eight hours to get out there. So I, I, I get there and uh, see a number of people, lots of hugs, and I stand up. This hot afternoon or hot morning, and, and um, there's 80 people standing there, and I, I, I'll tell you what I told them. The first words out of my mouth were, I have to apologize to you. I have to apologize to you, dear Oniko Bible Church, because you had to suffer through my first sermon, and it was horrible. And they were like, not really. And I said, no, 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 let me recount what happened in my first sermon. So here's what happened. I was uh, mentored by a very large black man, and I thought that the way you were supposed to preach whenever you preached was like a very large, charismatic black man. This congregation, of course, was in the middle of the wheat fields, and uh, let's just say black people were infrequent visitors there, and farmers with their Wrangler jeans and their cowboy boots, some of them had the hats on, you know, the straw coming out, like, then they would come to church. And so when I came, I, I found this big double-breasted suit, right? Because that's what you wear with the big long and baggy pants. And I was walking down the middle and I sat in the front row and put my arms out like this and crossed my legs. Amen, I kept saying in this church. Now they'd never heard that before ever, right? So it was the youth pastor like, who is this guy? I came up to the pulpit and the, the way Hush used to do it, the way the guy who mentored me, he used to do it, is he used to stand behind the pulpit, you know? 
And when it was time to preach, he'd tuck his Bible under his arm and he'd start, he'd just like, you know? And so I did this in front of these people, right? And I marched into the pulpit. And whenever I, whenever I wanted to, whenever I made a really good point or one that I thought I made, I would say, mmm, I like that. God is faithful. Mmm, I like that, you know? One hour and 10 minutes later, the sermon was over. Like four people were still, still awake, you know, through all my, mm, I like that. So I said, I apologize to you for that sermon. The lady in the back said, it wasn't that bad, right? And I was like, oh, praise God for you, sister. And it was horrible. It was terrible. But I told them, I told them, but I got to tell you, you were patient with me. You gave me more opportunities. I started my ministry with you. So your impact... Little church, this little church out in the Wheatfield, your impact far outweighs your size because you've joyfully invested in future leaders. I would not be where I am today. I would not be doing the ministry I am today had I not been allowed to preach an hour and 10 trash message to Oniko Bible Church. I would not. And they're not the only church. Like, we're like that. You know that. We're like that. We love to see young leaders cutting their teeth. This summer, we had an opportunity to have some of our uh, pastoral interns preach. I was over in East Abbotsford, actually, and one of our pastoral interns was, was preaching over there, and um, somebody came up to me after the sermon, and he said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. He pulled, him over, pulled me to the side, and he said, so I, gotta, I just got to tell you that when uh, he first stood up there, I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible, right? It was Freddie. So um, <laughs> this is going to be horrible. He said, and then like a minute into it, I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't horrible. And then like five minutes... Well, he said, it felt like five minutes, and I looked up the clock, it was like 20 minutes had gone by, and I realized, this guy's really good at this. And they said, I just got to tell you, he said, at the end, I had tears in my eyes, because it is so exciting to see a young guy like that, learning and growing. Whatever you guys are doing, keep doing it. I love that heart. I love that that's, that's not just one person in our church, right? It's, it's everybody. Like, we, we're like, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to send missionaries into the future. We're going to see the kingdom of God flourish and the gospel go forward in Canada. And our part to play in the present moment is to help these people grow and learn and develop. One of our pastoral interns, she did the, the uh, denominational credentialing where she goes and takes a bunch of theological tests and stuff. Her answers were so good so erudite, so capable that the denominational leader called me on the phone and said, hey, can we put her on our national uh, board of theology? I was like, dude, she's just a student. Pump the brakes. Let's just get her through the classes. But that's the quality of person that you're, that you're building here. All because you're willing. All because you say, no, no, no. What we have heard, we're going to pass on so that they can pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. And so we're doing this, guys. So I'm so excited about it. We're building pastoral training centers in North India in partnership with Multiply upstairs. We're training pastors in Northern Thailand in a building that we've already built and paid for so that they're going out into Laos and genuinely seeing revival take place there. Among the Kamu people, we're developing a network of like-minded churches that are going to be planting churches together and training leaders together for the next while. Listen, it is a very real possibility that in the next 20 to 30 years, there will not be a community in Canada that is not influenced by a pastor or a church that found its genesis in what we're doing now. And I love the fact that Northview Community Church, when I talk about that stuff, it's like, oh yeah, so it's more 
more. It's so cool. I thank God for you for that. You guys are going to have to listen a lot quicker than what you're doing. Here we go. Number, number three. You, you want to hear from God. I love the fact that you want to hear from God even when it's hard. I thank God for this, that you want to hear from God even when it's hard. Second Timothy, same book, right? Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16, a little further on. So you can, Paul's voice a little more gravelly. He's closer to his deathbed here. All scripture, he says, is God breathed and useful. Notice what it's useful for. Well, teaching, rebuking, scripture is useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That word training is actually a word that has a special um, background. It's a, it's a word that, that has built into it to the idea of training of children. In fact, the word child, the Greek word for child is in the word. So what he's saying is that the scriptures are going to rebuke you. They're going to correct you. They're going to teach you. And they're going to train you like, a, like you train your kid. Recently... Um, I've been in the process of training my son, my 16-year-old, on how to drive, um, which has been devastating for, for me. He's actually been pretty, pretty good at it. Before I started teaching my kids how to drive, I did not realize what that handlebar was for on the passenger side. <laughs> you know, when you're driving and you're young, you're like, why did they put a handlebar over there? But now, I'm like two-handed on that handlebar. Oh, God. Oh, God. Give this boy more wisdom than he's shown. In the, you know? <laughs> Actually, one hand on there, your hand on the front, right? That's what you do because you're bracing yourself. You're denying physics here, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to stop this car with my sheer will. And then sometimes you add into the foot, the foot stomp with it, you know? Because you think there's a break there. He said to me one time, what are you doing, Dad? What are you, why are you dancing? I'm not dancing, no. Well, there are times where your kids are driving like that and, and they're going into, they don't check the, do you have, check your blind spot. My, my what? You know, like, oh, what are you doing? And you, they start steering over this way because they're looking, oh, dad, did you notice there's a house? They look at the road and they're going in here and you grab the wheel and you pull. Finally, you're like, pull. And that's what scripture does. It, it does. Sometimes it pulls. You're going that way. You're going to hit things. It's going to ruin you. Paul, it rebukes, it corrects, it trains. And people don't like that. You know that? I mean, the kid who's sitting in the car does not like it when you pull. Why are you doing that, Dad? Don't you trust me? No. <laughs> and people act that way with Scripture. Well, I, don't, I don't like being rebuked. I don't like being corrected. I certainly don't like being trained like I'm a child. And so they come up with clever ways to get around what the Bible clearly says. Well, if you look at the historical background of this obscure word in the corner here, you'll realize that one third century author said that it means this other thing. So now the Bible means exactly opposite to what it's saying. Ta-da! Or you do it the way Thomas Jefferson did. You just, you just cut out pieces of the Bible. Well, some of it's authoritative and other pieces are not authoritative. Jesus is authoritative, but Paul's not authoritative. Who's Paul anyway? You get people cutting out portions of Scripture. Literally, Thomas Jefferson 
one of the founding fathers of the American Republic. They, he cut out portions of his Bible, right? It was a very holy Bible. <laughs> I'm a dad, right? So, and he used to cut them out. He used to cut portions of the Bible out. And it came, what he came out with was a palatable one, one that he liked. People respond this way to the Bible when it corrects and trains. You know what I love about Northview is you don't do this. You don't. In all my time here, um, you don't do this. Last year, we went through Romans 9 to 11. A friend of mine on the phone is another pastor who's been a pastor for 20 years or whatever. He said, you're, you're, doing, th- you're doing what? Romans 9 to 11. Yeah, dude, that's the pastor's graveyard. You should just skip that one and just go to Romans 12 and say, oh, we just forgot to do 9 through 11. I said, no, why would we possibly do that? Why would, why would I do that? After we went through it, he called me and said, how did it go? And I said, actually amazing. You know, I went through it and I shared what I thought the passages meant. And some people responded poorly in the sense that they were frustrated about it. But all of the, convers- all the conversations I had were about the text. They were always about the Bible, people going home and debating and thinking about it and considering it. I remember one guy was upset with me and he finally said at the end, okay, I can see your point. I don't agree with you, but I appreciate that you stuck to the text. And that's Northview. I remember pre- I preached on David and Bathsheba one time. And if you know the story of David and Bathsheba, right, it's about sexual sin. At the end, I was talking about how we need to repent and believe the gospel, all of us, because most of us are sexual sinners, some level or another. And so I remember uh, he came up front. This guy came up front afterwards, and he, and he stood before me. He said, so if I hear you right, um, what you're saying is that I, I currently cohabitate with my, wife, with my girlfriend, like, uh, and we have a lot of sex. And I, what you're saying to me is e- either I need to get married to her or I need to stop living with her and stop having sex with her if I want to call myself a, a believer in the Lord Jesus. Now, I got to tell you, in these moments, I want people to keep coming to the church like anybody else does. I, I want them to, to stay. And there's a temptation deep in my heart where I want to say, well, actually, there's this obscure passage and historical background in this passage. If you did understood, Bathsheba was actually different than an actual woman. Like, honestly, <laughs> you, you, want, you want to because you want the guy to keep coming. But I just, I just said to him, actually, yeah, that's basically what, what I'm saying. Well, he said, I don't, I don't like that. I'm going to have to think about it. But I appreciate you being honest. Like, even when people disagree with me here, what they really like, that I tell it, hopefully, straight. We can disagree, but at least we're disagreeing about what the Bible says. There's a heart in this church of people who want to hear from God, even if it's hard. And I, I see the Spirit moving among you with that impulse. Here's the last one, okay? Number four. Uh, I love the fact that you love a risky idea. So the people of Israel are on the edge of the promised land. They're supposed to go forward, right? Do you remember the story? And they, and they send spies. God says, go forward, take the land. Right? I delivered you from Egypt. I delivered you so you could take the land. Go forward, take the land. I'm with you. Well, we're going to send 10 spies in, so they, or 12 spies in. They send 12 spies in. 10 of them come back and say, have you seen the size of the people in the land? Have you seen the size of the walls? There's no way we can actually go in there and conquer it. Two of the guys, Caleb and Joshua, 
came back and said, what are you talking about? We, God just split the Red Sea. He's provided us through, for us through the desert. Just, let's just go, man. We'll see the Lord move. Let's take the risk on God. What happened? Well, the majority won. 10 were bad, two were good. And they didn't go. And God said, well, because you're not willing to risk on me, then you will all die in the desert except for Caleb and Joshua. And the moral to the story, there's lots and lots of them, but the moral to the story is that risk in the name of God for the sake of his kingdom, risk is right. And you find that in the New Testament. Jesus tells a story about a parable. I share it all the time, the parable of the talents. And he says, well, there's a, there's a landowner. He goes away and he leaves three guys in charge and he gives one of them $5 million, the other $2 million, and the third one $1 million and says, I'm gonna come back and hold you to account with what, for what you've done with the money. And he comes back a long while later. He shows up, lines them up. Hey, $5 million guy, how'd you do? I doubled it. Took your five, made another five. The master says, well, join the, join the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Two million dollar guy, what did you do? I doubled it too. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to the joy of your master. One million dollar guy, what did you do? Well, you know, there's a lot of risk involved. So I just went back and I buried it so that you wouldn't lose any of what you have. Look, I, I have all of it. I didn't lose any of it. I mean, I didn't take any risks with it either, but here. You wicked, lazy servant. He kicks him out of the house. What's the moral to the story? Well, look at what does it mean? Well, Jesus has been resurrected and he ascended into heaven and he will return. And in the meantime, we've been left here and God has blessed each and every one of us with something, money, talent, gifts, that you're to use to double the master's money. He will hold you to account for it. And risk is right. I love the fact that this church believes that, that risking is right. And I can see that you believe it because when we had an opportunity to go up to mission and there was a church that was struggling there, but we needed to take on debt in order to replant it, you were like, yeah, let's do that. And we did, and now there are 500 people worshiping the Lord this morning in mission. And then a little while later, we had an opportunity in Port Coquitlam to do the same thing. And nobody said, oh, that's a dumb idea. They were like, no, let's do it. Well, we're gonna have to take on debt. No, nah, we'll take care of it. And now there are 500 people worshiping the Lord in Port Coquitlam. And last year, we said, listen, why don't we plant something in East Abbotsford and 700 of some of our best people, some of our most committed people, all left here, went over to East Abbotsford and there were 700 people worshiping the Lord in East Abbotsford today. And you didn't hesitate once about it. Like I said, I gotta be careful what I ask you to do because you're like, okay, we're in. And it's remarkable as a pastor to be part of that. I, got, I just got to tell you as I finish here, listen, I'm, I, I get approached by other churches from time to time and they say, would you come and consider being our pastor? And I listen to what they have to say and then halfway through the conversation in my mind, I start thinking to myself, okay, if I go to that church and I start doing that, will there be as many Caleb's and Joshua's as there are at Northview? And the answer is probably not. 
So as for me and my house, I'll run with you. When I first came to Northview, and you, if you told me that 13 years later you'd be standing in front of these people and saying words like this, I would have said, you're fool. Because it was awkward for me at the beginning, right? I came to Canada. I was the only thought, we didn't have a lead pastor here. I was like, I'm only going to be here three years. There's no way I'm going to stick around because everything's so tenuous and had a hard time getting used to Canada. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, like it was hard. <laughs> and then you guys got crazy and you asked me to be the lead pastor of your church. I was like 35 years old. Talk about a risk. I don't know. Give him the keys. How bad could it be? And here we are. And some, I gotta tell you, somewhere between that moment and this moment, I don't know, we started to love each other. So I thank God for you. When I sit in my quiet moments in my chair, looking at the summer sun setting in the distance, I think I am so thankful to God that he has given me you and you me. And I'll run with you. So let me pray for you. Father, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for your word. And I'm thankful for the overwhelming joy that you've put in my heart for these people. If they could only know how much, how full my heart is for them. And I know sitting, standing up in front of them and sharing your heart with them is awkward sometimes, you know. We just don't do it very often. But I pray, Father, that they would see it as a genuine heart of love from a pastor who is deeply thankful for, for them. We have big days ahead. But we know, Father, by the power of your spirit that will produce a unity in us in the days to come. We will see great things happen. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.